Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the September issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, Do You Have Mold and Mycotoxins in Your Silage? To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Specialist. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here, Aaron. So there's a lot of silage being put up across the state right now. Some of it's been drought-stressed corn that was harvested for silage. In other cases, folks have had some hail-damaged corn that they decided to chop. When we also look at the value of forage today, uh, we look at hay prices, and there's a lot of parts of the state where it was just a challenge to get quality hay put up. And so I think there's some scenarios where people are maybe thinking about putting up silage this year just because of the feed that they have available and also thinking this may be the best option for some of these damaged crops. But with that, then there also is a greater risk of mold and mycotoxins. And in this article, you highlight just the risk that that provides and maybe some things to think about if you're concerned that that might be an issue. Uh, Talk through with us just the importance of understanding if you do have mold or mycotoxins, maybe the impact to the silage and then obviously also to the cattle you're feeding or other livestock. What are some things to understand with this? Yeah, so this is one of those things that's quite complex because there's a lot of different molds, there's a lot of different mycotoxins. And honestly, our understanding of of the impacts is is, uh, definitely not 100%, I will say. So what we're going to talk about is is what we really do know and and some of the cautions, but it's definitely a complex topic. So the first thing to understand is that the presence of mold in silage can decrease the energy value. And that's just because, plain and simple, the mold can use some of the energy when it's growing. But also, the mold can impact, actually, the rumen environment. So it can impact the microbes in the rumen, which actually can decrease the value of the feed because you actually impact digestion that way. So we often will see decreased feed value. A lot of times we can see decreased intake and cattle performance. Some of the cattle performance reductions are due to decreased intake alone, and some of them are actually because of the mycotoxins or the decrease in in digestion that we see. So again, like I said, it is kind of complex. With molds that don't produce mycotoxins, you can still see, you know, the feed value decrease and even the, the feed intake decrease with those that do produce mycotoxins. So what is a mycotoxin? It's basically just a toxic compound that the molds excrete and the amount, like cer- certain molds produce it, certain molds don't. Those that do, the amount that they produce is really dependent on the environment in which they're growing. So often we will see with uh, drought stress, some molds increase the amount of my- mycotoxins they produce. So your risk is higher to have higher mycotoxins in drought stress conditions. So with mycotoxins, they can impact animal health because those compounds can actually impact the animal in terms of they get into the, the bloodstream and actually have an impact, if that makes sense. And there's a lot of different things that we can see depending on the type of of mycotoxins. Sometimes you'll see impacts on breeding, so reproduction. Sometimes you'll see symptoms that are like uh, impact the liver, so liver function. And, you know, the liver is really important for metabolism. So again, you'll see impacts on the ability of the animal just to thrive. 
And then um, another one that you often see is like a suppressed immune system. So a lot of the symptoms that we see are almost secondary, if that makes sense. There's a wide array and it's about the mycotoxins impacting um, the animal's ability to then either metabolize certain things or um, actually have an immune response, if that makes sense. In the article, you just talk about things that contribute to mold growth. And if you do have mold and silage, how do you try to manage that? We've talked about another podcast, just the importance of getting the silage put up right in terms of moisture, getting a good pack, and then getting a good oxygen barrier film or tarp on that to keep oxygen out. Just talk through with us just the importance of, especially with corn that has mold and we're harvesting into silage, why it's so important to even more attention to those good silage harvesting principles to reduce the impact of mold. Yeah. So I think it's important to understand there's really two general types of mold. So what you were just talking about is a field mold. So it's the mold that grows out in the field. So those are the ones that you you go out to the field and you see that there is a mold and the ones that are are pretty common in are gibberella, aspergillus, and uh, fusarium. And so if you go out to the field before harvest and you see mold, you can have mycotoxins that are in your silage, even if you put, you put it up right and do everything right, because it's already there from being in the field. And you may not see any mold in the silage and still have mycotoxin because a lot of those won't survive in, the, I mean, the molds won't survive in the fermentation process, but the mycotoxins are not destroyed by heat, time, or fermentation, if that makes sense. So first step is if you see mold in the field, you want to take a look and, and see what kind of mold it is. And then at that point, it's probably worth doing a basic mycotoxin test when you uh, are opening up your silage just to see where you're sitting. Now there's another uh, set of molds, the storage molds, that is where your management of the silage can have huge impact. And I should point out that aspergillus is a field mold, but also a storage mold. So it is one that in the field, it makes it even more important to make sure you're doing everything right when you're putting up the silage because it does survive. Uh, during the fermentation process. And so it can increase in the amount of total mold and thus um, the amount of uh, mycotoxin that it produces. So when we're talking about getting it done right, molds require oxygen to grow. So doing it right means making sure that you get it packed well and that you exclude oxygen. So you just mentioned uh, packing and you mentioned covering. And that's the reason why those are two really, really important things when we're talking about reducing the risk of mold. Packing, uh, make sure that you have thin layers. We talk about having enough tractor weight, right? It's like 800 pounds per ton of incoming forage per hour. And most people do not have the capacity to have enough tractor weight for the incoming forage from most of the larger custom choppers. So making sure you have thin layers can help make sure that you actually still are getting it packed well. And don't get in such a hurry to get it on the pile because it's incoming so fast. Um, it's better to let it sit and get it done right and packed right than to get leave all that oxygen in there and allow the mold and yeast to, to go to town, if that makes sense. 
So once we have it in the pile, we open up the pile and we get a sample. What are we testing for? How do we go about doing that? Yeah. So um, like I said, if it's if it's a field mold and it's not aspergillus, then you probably just go ahead and, and go ahead and do a mycotoxin test. So they have screening. It is expensive. It is about $170 for a screen. Or you can do, if you actually do know the type of mold in the field, you can do a specific mycotoxin test for uh, for the mycotoxin that that particular mold test. If it's storage mold, so if you can see mold in your pile, then uh, one of the things you can do is actually go ahead and just do a mold and yeast count as your first step. And the reason I say that is because with field molds, you you may no longer have the mold there, but you do have mycotoxins. With storage molds, uh, usually you'll find that you have the mold there and the mold count is fairly cheap. Um, it's usually about 30 to $45. And so if you see the a high mold count, then you might go ahead and test for mycotoxins. But if you don't have a high mold count, then you're probably not going to need to test for mycotoxins. So it's a way to kind of reduce um, the cost. And most labs will keep your silage around after they send you back the results. Um, some of them are like two weeks, some of them are a month. So you could go ahead and ask them after you do the count to go ahead and do the mycotoxin test if it's necessary. So uh, thinking about mold counts, we, we typically say de decreased digestibility or energy value of your silage can happen with mold counts that are greater than 100,000 uh, colony foreign, forming units, which is what they'll actually send you back as the result. And then anything above 300,000 is is pretty high risk, and you're probably going to want to dilute it into something uh, in the diet. You're not going to want to have it at very high levels. The challenge, honestly, with mold and mycotoxins is that usually if you have one, you have others, and they can have what I would say synergistic effects. So you may not have a really high mycotoxin level for one mycotoxin, but if you have another one, they kind of can sometimes be additive and effects. And so it's really hard to always know like what their potential responses can be. But if you know that you have some risk, you can make some decisions about who am I going to feed it to um, and how much am I going to feed? And so it gives you at least some knowledge is, is useful to make um, informed decisions is kind of the way I think about it. Circling back and thinking about testing a pile for mycotoxins, how do we get a good representative sample? And I'm just thinking here about a silage pile, the, the amount of tons of feed that we have there, and we're going to get a small sample and send that in for analysis. How do we know that that's accurate? What's the best method to go about collecting a sample to try to really know what we have? Yeah, it's a good question, Aaron. So one of the, one of the things about mold, right, is that it grows it can grow again when you re-expose it to air, if it's a storage mold, for instance. So where we tell you a lot of times, right, to, to take off the face and go all the way down the face because you're trying to get a representation of what you're actually feeding, I think it's actually important to understand that like what has been exposed for a longer period of time will have higher mold counts. So my suggestion is you want it to represent what you typically are feeding, which means that I don't suggest actually cleaning off the face first and then taking a sample. I actually want to know what my risk is giving 
the fact that I have it exposed for however long I'm exposing it. And what I'm really talking about is that a lot of times, just to be frank, another challenge with silage is that people have too big of a face for their feed out rate. So when you actually open up that face, there's oxygen getting in three feet. We tell you that ideally you're pulling off at least six inches of material um, a day. Uh, even better, right, would be like 12. So what I think is really actually important is not to just dig into one small pocket, but actually to go across your whole face going from top to bottom, mixing that up. So taking grab samples from that material, mixing it up, and then using that as your um, source so that you actually are getting a real estimate of what you're actually feeding to your animals. If you want to know what your face management is doing, you could uh, then go ahead and take after you've cleaned off the face for the day and fed, you could take another sample and see how different it is from the one of what you were actually feeding. You'll, you'll probably see a, uh, quite a difference in the amount of mold if you don't have a very high feed out rate, I'll put it that way. Uh, so I think feed out rate's another one where people can do themselves a favor if they are at risk of having high, higher mold because it was droughted um, or hail damaged and had some field mold, mold started. Any other tips or things you'd encourage producers to think about if they're dealing with a situation where they think they may have high levels of mold or mycotoxins in their silage? Well, I, I would say one big one is do not pull off, you know, more than the day's worth of material from the silage pile. So making sure you have the face, the size of the face right. And, but when, when you go in and you like loosen up the material, and you're actually just causing a feast for the mold to grow and multiply. And they make leaps and bounds in a 24-hour period. Um, so you can, you can significantly increase uh, the amount of mold you have in your silage by loosening it up the day before and maybe bringing over the next day's worth, uh, for instance, for the morning feed. Um, that's a bad plan if you're at risk of mold. I mean, it's actually a bad plan no matter what, but it's even worse when you do have mold present in, in, in any kind of high amounts because they exponentially increase, if that makes sense. So really they can increase uh, more than double in a 24 hour period. Some of the, some of the estimates I've seen is like tenfold increase. It's pretty crazy. So what you're saying is I could take a product in my silage that maybe has some molds present. And if I went ahead and fed and delivered that right away, it would be at a level, which would maybe not be a problematic, but raking that away, letting it set for a day could really jump the levels to a place where it does become more problematic. Exactly. So you could have tested what you pulled off the face and, and it didn't look too bad, but then you let it sit loose for 24 hours. And now if you had tested that, it'll look really, really bad. And if you really want to convince yourself of it, just go stick your hand in that silage before you go to feed it. If you have pulled it off and let it sit for any given time, you'll start feeling it heat up. What's growing is usually mold and yeast. So uh, both of which are not good for the animal. So if you're, you're feeling it hot, then you're burning money and you're potentially making something toxic. Dr. Ranowski, thanks for the article. Anything else you'd like to highlight today? Oh, I think we covered it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sure I made everybody really nervous. Well, I think there is it's something to be aware of, obviously. And I think 
you know, obviously we talk about some of these worst case scenarios, but knowing what you have and then, you know, just thinking about the value of forage today and thinking about the value of gain, some of these tests can really help alleviate or confirm, hey, I do have a problem. I need to manage this differently or, hey, this is fine and we can go ahead and and feed this as we typically would. We talk about $170 being significant and it is, but when you look at the cost of forage today, really that's not a very big deal. Exactly. Good management can can have a huge impact. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article we discussed today, Do You Have Mold and Mycotoxins in Your Silage?